0: My two Veronism. Nick You
1: must remember those words. Gordon Sutton. And welcome back to stories out of time and space. I'm your regular host Scott Weatherly, and as always, I'm joined by Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? You okay? I'm doing great.
2: My face hurts a little, but uh, how are you doing?
1: Yes, I'm not too bad. Not too bad. I say it's. Uh, <laughs> I've gone through some ex- uh, some experimental surgery. I feel I'm looking ten years younger. Um, today we, both we have, need it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, especially at the moment, yeah, I feel I'm feeling my age in about ten more. Um. Yeah, but today we're going to be going, uh, we're starting our full uh, season three sprint. Um, we've done the 50s block and now we are into sort of, I don't want to say the main bunch, but we're sort of starting that sort of, like you know, the, the other decades. Um, we're not going too far to begin with, to be perfectly honest. We're going from 1959 to 1960, um, but we are going across the ocean and across the continents. We're going to go to Europe and we're going to be doing Le Youth Sans Visage, or Eyes without a face from 1960. I tried, I tried then. I'm hoping it was okay. Um, yeah, not bad, not bad. Yeah, I'll take not bad, I'll take that. That's not that's all right. I got a D in French when I was at school. Um, I literally got shouted at by my French teacher after an exam because I clearly hadn't done any revision and. I I've bombed out
2: of uh, French in <laughs> high school. I, I, I did maybe like eight hours of work, homework in four years of high school. And so French was the one subject that I could not do well without any studying. And I made it sort of like to the end of the second year. And I think I went from like A, A, then to B and C. <laughs> and I thought, yes, it's just going to get worse. I, I got to get out while they're getting good. <laughs> Uh, but then I I went back and studied in college just because it was the one thing that I cared about that I was not mm. good at,
1: you
0: know.
1: <laughs> well, you, you are, as you you've sort of, I think maybe you are on the show. you you're, would you describe yourself as fluent at, at a push or? Uh, I hate the term
2: fluent. I mean, I can because you know, um, my sort of foster son has uh, has lived in France mm. and he is his accent is way better than mine his his vocabulary is way better than mine. he will pop out phrases that it's like you, I guess they say that on the street like you know I, I've yeah. never heard of this <laughs> but I understand the grammar way better than he does and I can stop and say, oh no 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 that that you know that accents that way because of this and that yeah. word comes from this and so it's a difference between book learning versus experience. but I have yeah. a master's in French so
1: yeah more than i've got i barely have a gcse in french (laughs) and uh, uh yeah i think i when i was a kid i sort of suffered from the usual small islander syndrome of screw them i shall just speak british louder and slower it doesn't work i found over the years um, See, we we suffer from big nation syndrome, where yeah. you know we
2: have less fluency in other languages
1: than almost anywhere else in the world. <laughs> it's an old relationship we have with the French; we really do. Um, but I will say, and I'm going to give this sort of a, a heads up: I really enjoyed this film. Mm. Really enjoyed it. I thought it was it's, it's a beautiful film um, to begin with. Um, but yeah, that's it. We should we should sort of start to talking a little bit i'll give it a little bit of a, uh, a synopsis because it also as well i will say uh to anyone following along you may have to find this in certain ways uh to be able to watch it if you want to watch it online it was quite difficult to find uh for me i've got i've actually got the bfi um blu-ray uh, which i'm really glad of did because special features are really cool as well but um the story is of a um a, a young woman uh Christiane, who Uh, suffered in a a car accident and her face was disfigured um, and her father, who is a a, uh, experimental plastic surgeon or a a general doctor, scientist, I think really from the 60s, um, is trying to progress this idea of facial replacement surgery um, and is basically kidnapping and killing young women to take their faces um, and put it on his daughter. Uh, Eventually, though, it all goes a bit pear-shaped and um, she wanders off into the night. Uh, what I would say is the the one disappointment after seeing a bit of this is well, one. No, actually, I'm gonna take. So I'm gonna go one step further than the disappointment. I now see this as a prequel. This is this is a prequel film to Face Off. This mm, film mm-hmm. is this is the, this is the prequel to to Nick Cage and John Travolta. That's what I'm saying.
2: Well, I it's funny how influential this is. I mean, you know, there's the Billy Idol song. I thought yes. about Face <laughs> Off too. I I thought like. <laughs> even though like when they were producing it they tried to steer away from the novels um mad scientist uh-huh. i couldn't stop thinking like this is such a french version of frankenstein right like yes. you know this yes. is like instead of igor it's a beautiful assistant you know and he's focused his monster is his daughter and mm. his obsession with beauty and it touched me. Also, I'm a big fan of Nip Talk, and it, it touched me on um, you know sort of our obsession with beauty. And the film is very poetic in its shots and very French in its you know decor and and focus on uh, sort of young, beautiful female women.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things I thought I thought was really interesting from the offset is that. Um you know the the this this aesthetic point to it this aesthetic of even her mask mm. is is i mean you know it's clearly been taken as just a, a mold of her face and then that's been turned into this mask but it's it's very plain and it has this effect of being very creepy because of that plainness but it's still like this it's it's like a porcelain doll and and there's this there's this notion to me, okay, or this thing of, of dolls, and you know his daughter is 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 no more than a plaything to not playthings were the wrong word, but like you know, yes, he wants to transform her face, but is it really for a fatherly love, or is it like, oh no, I've got I've got this captive uh, test subject that I can keep going back to. Um, uh, yeah, so it's an interesting sort of. It surprised me this film did. It really did.
2: Well, she compares herself to the dogs, um, mm. and and you see doves at the end that uh, apparently he's been performing experiments on. And these are sort of dogs that are found in the woods, and they capture them, and you know he, I guess, does experiments on them. And she's kind to them, and they're kind to her. Um, but you know, spoilers. Mm. Uh, you find out that at the end, a German Shepherd, which back in those days was considered the most violent, uncontrollable dog. That's like yeah. a pit bull today yeah. just with the stereotypes that people have. Um, German Shepherds used to be like the pit bulls that, you know, mm. it's like, you got to avoid this German Shepherd's <laughs> man. They will kill your children. And a German Shepherd mauls the doctor's face and kills him. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, she makes that equation... I don't know. I mean, he seems obsessed. It, you know, she, obviously his daughter doesn't want this, right? So yeah. at the very least, he uh, has made her kind of human test subject.
1: Well, that seems to be the case. Like she, she's been locked away, or, or at least has locked herself away, um, and is then used for these test subjects. It, even the setup is bizarre. Like you know, in several of the instances you sit well no towards the end at least you see that she is present during the face removal or the the, the, at least the sort of pre-operation setup for the other girls and she sat there like on some sort of like chaise lounge just sort of sat there reclined going like well this is a terrible thing to be happening you know you know it's all very sort of um she seems drugged you know at times or dulled down and because there's other times when she see, she feels she feels more alert and than others, and I was questioning sort of like, you know, has she been drugged? You know, is it the painkillers? Is it something else? Is that they trying to keep her drugged or whatever? Because, or is something else broken? I don't say bro- broken seems the wrong word, but again, that like something that's broken in it. Because at the end of the film, when she leaves uh, the house, and she, you know, the dove lands on her arm again. You know, that's a John Woo dove, by the way. Mm. another another side, this is a sequel prequel to face off. Um, she's she's more sort of like, you know, she's she's very sort of graceful, but but, you know, not I don't just not alert. It's sort of it's childlike in it sort of in it. I think maybe they are trying to portray innocence, but it comes across almost like um that she's been drugged or she's not, you know, fully aware.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the complaints about this film upon its release was that, and it was sort of panned at the time and has gone on to be super influential, Mm. was that, you know, sort of the acting was listless, that, you know, know, you're right about her performance. I I think everybody in this seems, uh, has a little bit like they're sort of going through the motions, but not in a bad way. I mean, you know, they're in this kind of like, poetic interesting story um i'm a huge fan of jean cocteau and and this reminds me of that in it's in its style and in its look it's much more interested in like her listlessly going around the house in this mask Mm. and what it signals about beauty and the way the shot is composed than it is in resolving that kind of question about her character
1: yeah, I agree. Uh, you, you know, this thing what you say going around the house, there's Matt, like, she's almost a ghost. You know, and that, that was the other thing that sort of came to mind, is that sort of like, was, was those sort of gothic um, horror films, you know, sort of, uh, you know, M.R. James or sort of, um, you know, Turn of the Screw, uh, James in that case, but, um, you know, Henry James, those sorts of gothic ghost stories are sort of like, or, or even like... Um, What's the one, like, is it Wuthering Heights? It's got the, you know, um, the woman who's sort of the bride, the Charles Dickens novel with sort of the bride living in the dilapidated house. It's that thing of sort of like, mm. she's a living ghost in a house. Um is
2: that Great Expectations?
1: Great, yeah. great Expectations, there you go, that's what I was thinking. That's right. That's my literary co- uh, uh, quote for the, for the day. Um, I, it
2: may be my favourite favorite Dickens book too. But, uh, but Miss Havisham a, is yes, quite sharp. yeah. So. Yeah.
1: But that's how it felt like she she isn't there to be a character you know like there's no sort of like she's she's she is not there and that having that mask that plain mask to me like the reason she, she's not acting if she was all overacting and it was all sort of like woe is me you know dramatic like it would be too much like even anything's too much like her listlessness is all part and part like she like I say she's gone through this massive trauma this car crash she's lost her face the mask depicts of how beautiful she was In fact, you, know, you actually during a face transplant you see how beautiful she she is or can be and so to have that removed like she is she's nothing more than a ghost like she's a wisp of what she was and so yeah so just the way she acts to me is, is exactly what i was I was i would expect really she's nothing more than a pawn as well like she's she's got no antagon- she's not an antagonist in this film she's got no active agency really until the end of the film
2: she's also legally dead right i mean because the the film starts with uh a great scene of the what you later find out to be the doctor's assistant Mm. um driving in a car with somebody in the back seat and you later find out it's a body (laughs) (laughs) you know this this woman is dumping a body in in the water it's the most stark i mean then the body is limp and Mm. you know it's, it's the most stark um amazing sort of opening and you know she drives this sort of like uh, it looks like a, a volkswagen um you know and,
1: and it's a Citroen. it's a Citroen c5 so there you go <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> see i mean
2: between the two of us we know dickens we know we know cars <laughs> we know tons
1: of information
2: um, just not overlapping um yeah i'm i'm lost when it comes to cars but <laughs> Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think and then you find out that she's got this boyfriend who mm-hmm. is sort of important to the plot. He's sort of the the doctor's assistant at the hospital where he works. Uh, Francois. Well, Jacques is his name. Um, and she's not allowed to contact the boyfriend. <laughs> so that listens for me is sort of like and it's clear that she she says that she blames her father for the accident that Mm. it was her father's fault that he crashed this car. Then her father has faked her death, you know, started murdering girls and cutting their faces off to, you know, give her a new face. And she's not allowed to ever go out or contact her um, fiancé because, you know, that would blow the whole scheme. Mm. So, like, in
1: a way, she is a ghost. Mm. And that's how I think she is portrayed throughout all of this. I think that's key. I think her, you know, to I think her acting is perfect for that. Like she is just, she's given up. She she wants this thing, but she also, like you say, she doesn't. Um, and so I think that it's really interesting. Like she's just a, she's like I say, she's a test subject. And a lot, but the father in himself, again, like his acting is all about control. That like there is no emotion. Like he's almost like a sociopath. Like there's just no emotion. in it. And there's a great scene. One of my you go back to the beginning um, of when he goes to identify the body because he's he's a, he's claimed that his daughter is missing, presumed dead, and they find this body and he's one of the first ones they contact because where they found the body is nearish to his to this this hospital he runs. And so when he goes in, he claims he says, "Oh yes, that's definitely my daughter." And then when he leaves, the the real father of the the woman that's been found or oh, this. Yeah, young woman that's been found in this river turns up and he's like, he starts talking about his daughter, like, you know, whatever she's called and his doctor's claimed the body and said, oh, no, that's my daughter. And he talks about, it, he says, you know, um, you know, and he says this, this, the father's all sort of like, oh, you know, I don't know what to do with myself. My daughter is still missing. And as he gets back in the car, he says sort of like, you know, he says, is it, is it not strange that I have to comfort you? At least you still have hope. And I'm just like, wow, you are you are harsh. Like, you are cold. Like <laughs> you have literally not only have you killed his daughter, you've then claimed her body to cover your tracks, and now you're gonna diss him as well. Like I was <laughs> like, wow, you are mean. And like, now you're gonna demand
2: pity from your own victim.
1: <laughs> yeah, like from the relatives of your victim. Like it was really harsh. But I think he's he's. It's not like he's not like a mastermind. Like you know, they're not playing him. So, like you said, they've they've reduced this sort of mad scientist thing. He's just cold and driven, and like continually he talks about this thing of like, no, no, I've got to get this right. It's not to save his daughter. He wants to be able to present a test subject that says, "I've oh, done a face transplant because I'm the and I'm the first to do it." That's all this film tells me that he is interested in. And um, but I find him, I find the father interesting, I, I fascinated. I, I, watching him throughout the film is, is he was just such a um, an interesting figure. I, I enjoyed his acting, like this the arrogance he has. because uh, so later on, the police come to investigate the ho- the hospital, and again they're looking for someone because they they send, they send in like an undercover girl, and she goes missing, and when they come to investigate, and he literally stands there and says, "Look, when they go beyond those two doors, when they leave and go beyond those." they're not my responsibility anymore and i don't care (laughs) like like, Mm -hmm. he's like yeah he he is and that's just it he's legit uncaring like he is only driven by one thing um you know i just enjoyed hating him throughout the film really but (laughs) I, i thought he was fantastic yeah
2: i mean i i didn't hate him but i mean uh i just admire his determination so much, you know, (laughs) he's such an Ayn Randian figure who bends society to his will. I, I, you know, I'm joking, but no, I mean, I think that what you're saying about him is very interesting to me because it's, you know, I kept thinking about Frankenstein. I kept thinking about, um, you know, the sort of mad scientist figure and he is. And if you describe the film, you know, it sounds like he's a mad scientist who's experimenting on his dogs and mm. you know doing surgeries and cutting people's faces off and uh you know basically these young beautiful women are um you know his version of sort of stealing corpses from the graveyard uh except it's more horrific cuz he's yeah. killing live people and this description sounds very salacious and uh, like, completely B-movie stuff, mm. and it never feels that way. No. It feels like an art film in a lot of respects. And and a big part of it is, I think, his performance, that mm. he never comes... He m- comes off as cold, but he never comes off as, you know, blah, yeah, next we go to the graveyard. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's not arch, is he? Like, it's not... You know, we've just done a Vincent Price film. Like, it's not that... At all, okay. You know, they could have done. They could have leaned into that mustache twirling, you know, cackling at the moon kind of, of of mad scientist. But it's not like you see how cold he is. I don't know. There's a scene. That I again, I, I I literally sort of I, I actually went back and watched it again to to check something. He's successful to an extent at one point. They take a girl, take her face, and he puts it on his daughter, Christine. Oh, Christiane, and then they're having dinner, and you see her face, and she's obviously, it's obviously the actress without the mask and whatever, but, like, they're saying, oh, this is her new face, and they're talking about all the things she can do now, like, you have a new face, you can go off and travel, and we'll get you new papers and a new name, and it's all sort of, like, all hopeful, And but even as they're talking, he's like, yeah, now you can do this, and you can do that, and it's sort of like it's not done with joy, it's done with a sort of, like, that you've sort of got to go away so I can bring you back, but now I know it works, you know this sort of thing. And then just as he leaves, he goes to kiss her on the head, and even as he's doing it, he's examining her,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he notices a blemish. And then they leave. It's him and and, and his assistant, like this this like I say this this uh, slutty, uh, you know this woman, another woman he saved and did surgery on his his assistant. And he she calls him on it. And she's like, yeah, what what are you up to? Because you it. and he just says, I I uh, I failed, or I wasn't successful. And there's no concern for, like... And it clearly shows in the next bit. It's like There's no sort of, like, right, we've got to get, it off, get that face off because it's going to start... It could get infected. No, it then has a series of photographs of it, it, it necrotizing on his daughter's face. And he documents it. And then he's like, oh, yeah, well, that didn't work well, did it? So we'd better take it off. And it's just this thing of, like, the way that scene, when they're walking through, the just leaving the house, and he's smoking a cigarette, and he just says i wasn't successful and i was like it's so pitch perfect for sort of like you know it's it's that thing of like i had this thing in a petri dish i was really hoping for this result i didn't get this result there's a ten, tinge of disappointment in his voice but nothing more because he's like well we'll just have to try again it's like quater mass at the end of bloody equator mass oh well, <laughs> i'm gonna go i'm gonna do another one you know it's that thing it's, it's And I I had to go back to say, like, does he show any real compassion to his daughter? And it feels false. It feels like a faux compassion that he's giving her during that scene. And then when he leaves, I'm like, oh, that's exactly what it is. He's barely feeling to her, towards her at all. Um, And I just found that really interesting.
2: Yeah, those are some great moments you bring up. Um, I I think in that conversation, it feels like he's very much the kind of controlling patriarch. Mm. And... You know, it's sort of like, we're going to send you away. I mean, you're dead. Here's my plan to sort of resurrect you and it's all good. But it is said dispassionately and as if she just has to accept it because he is the patriarch, Mm. Um, not to mention a controlling physician. Uh, um, But I I do love that kind of like understated way in which he spots the, he asks her if she's wearing makeup Mm -hmm. and then says it's nothing. And explains later uh, to his assistant that her cheeks were rosy and he already can see right where that's going, right? Yeah, he's obviously brilliant. Mm. Um, I mean, I I think that that sequence of the necrotizing, you know, uh, image is one of the real moments of horror in this this film. Yeah. What were some of the other moments for you?
1: This, uh, This film... Shocked me. Proper 1960 movie. Proper shocked me because it was 1960. Because I've had it for years and years and years, I've had Psycho held up as this, you know, watershed moment of, and I've known it's not really been that because there's been other stuff before, but this watershed moment of like Hitchcock broke the mold and sort of like, you know, modern horror was born. In this film, you 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 know again, dispassionate, like there's no arch in it at all. You actually get to watch a surgery of someone's face being cut off.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'm
1: sat there going, are oh, they're going to cut away from this in a second? The moment he puts the scalpel, in, I'm like, oh, okay, No, no, it's still it still going. okay, well, she oh, she's leaning in and she's actually mopping up the blood. Oh, no, okay, well, they're gonna cut away in a moment he's done okay well now no now he's now he's reaching underneath and cutting away the sinew Uh jesus christ (laughs) (laughs) i'm like am i watching some sort of like discovery documentary like um, i thought of that too
2: like that's normal to us today
1: but you can imagine how shocking that was in 1960 and it's done pretty well oh it's done fantastically it's done but it's the way it's done as well and this there's two great moments in this that i was really impressed with is the fact that they the fact they never get away they don't they don't flinch. But, like, you know, um, and, but the things that I liked is it's not, you said it's not salacious. It's not gratuitous. It's not like spurting blood and at no point do you have like a white apron with blood splattering up it or anything like that. Like, no, it's a surgery. Like, it's done as a surgery. Um, but the one moment I found most interesting is sort of like, you know, uh, he leans over and he's got the pencil. And he does the outline of her face and then he does that and then Dean's in he sort of looks at her eyes and he does he circles the eyes. And I'm it's just like it's all it's all just in the course of things. Like there's nothing here that is being done. It's shocking and it's great, it's graphic, but it's not gratuitous. And I was just really impressed. I was just like, this is really good. Um and they have like the pegs on it to lift it off and all this other stuff. The bit I was surprised about that felt gratuitous and again would come in the 60s, a little bit later, and I sort of made me think of of Night of the Living Dead is the moment after he's been attacked by the dog uh, or dogs, I should say, and you get to see his corpse and his face, his face has been ravaged. Yeah. And that's pretty graphic because you literally see like an eyeball sort of like leering out of his face. And I'm like, again, I was like, Bloody hell, like this is you know, this is some proper stuff. Like, you know, it's in black and white, it's not they're not going for sort of like shock colour and that. Um but it's unflinching. I think that is the point, it's unflinching. And it fits the theme.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's why I, I you know it it's yeah, this must have been shocking for people. And I can see why critics would pan that in the 60s, you know, like <laughs> um I don't know, but that's what shocked me. Yeah, that surgery is is uncomfortable. Yes, um, you, you know, you
2: want it to cut. You think it's going to cut away, yes. and you keep wanting it to cut away. Um, I mean, I can't watch those sort of discovery uh, surgery shows. I mean, no. yeah, <sighs> you know, it, it's it's upsetting. Um, and and I yeah, I have that same reaction. Like I I keep thinking, like I'm amazed by what I'm watching. I'm admiring what I'm watching, but I'm also
1: uncomfortable and want it to stop. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah, I honestly thought of Saw or um Hostel, you know, the the torture porn kind of sort of like early 2000s kind of films. And I it, it crossed my mind I thought well there's things I see in that where you do go oh and you make the noises. But you 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 you're going into those expecting that, you know, especially like Hostel. You know what you get in. All the saw films, you know, you you know the formula, you know what you get and you are expecting that gore, that you are expecting those graphic moments. I just wasn't expecting it with this film. And then, as you say, sort of knowing the era and how the, the senses were at the time, to then sit through like a three-minute sequence of someone, of this surgery, was, was incredible. And, Someone's face being cut off. <laughs> but, but like I say, but again, it's beautifully done because it's, it's very, like the father figure, it's just matter of fact. It's not, it's like, yeah, well, I've got to do this. And part of it is... The removal. I mean, you don't see that the, the putting on. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: but no, I, it was. It was shocking to me of how, in, in that sense of like you say, that uncomfortableness of um, uh, what he is doing. Because the other point as well is like he's obviously doing this to a woman who has not given her consent. Like she, she they're going to kill her after. Um, and so there's that element as well as well. Like you are literally watching the murder, um, but doing it in a really sort of surgical way.
2: Well, um, with that woman, she, she recovers and, and that's another great image of of that woman with the bandages on her Mm -hmm. face. And, you know, like, I mean, you can kind of see a little too much skin under Mm -hmm. those bandages, but it would have done better to have a little blood makeup there. But, um, but the image of her with those bandages on is fantastic. Mm. And at one point, uh, I think it's the assistant asked the doctor, you know, uh, what he's going to do with her, and he says, "I haven't decided yet." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and conveniently, she winds <sighs> up escaping, and then um, uh, and then sort of leaps to her death, and mm. it's not. It seems to me like a suicide, although, is never explicitly said. Um, yeah, I mean, another another. Im- I I found the the shot with uh, the doctor's face torn up, and and the. I mean. I'm a big fan of the violence in Robocop you know although mm. that is is more you know and I remember as a kid uh I mean I'm a huge fan of Robocop too and I remember as a kid <laughs> when the the prostitutes rob this guy on the street K- and then they, they, they use their high heel to poke out his eye and he is yeah. you know like it just yeah poked out my and I remember yeah. like that even not seeing it, it was you know uh so horrific to me. The injury mm-hmm. to the eye motif. Um, yeah. So, I mean, seeing, you know, his eye hanging out there, I, I quite liked, and it's only for a few seconds and the black and white is really used effectively. there. Mm-hmm. And then there's a the scene where she is talking to um, that uh, surgery victim before, uh, you know, the, she escapes. And, uh, leans in, and it's the one time that we see her without the bandages on. And it's yes. very, it sort of goes in and out of focus to imitate the the point of view mm. of somebody coming out of surgery. But I thought it was shockingly effective. I thought, mm. like, this is, you know, it's like in comics, you don't show Snake Eyes' his face, right? Like, yes. there's this thing of, like, it's always going to be worse than the imagination. But But I thought, wow, that was really effective, especially with the makeup being used to have really dark areas that just look, like, bashed in or bloody.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, especially because of the way they've led up to it. Uh, because they go out of their way for quite some time for you not to see her face. So there's, there's, a, there's a sequence in her bedroom where she has her face buried into a pillow and the assistant comes in and she's obviously like some sort of, like you know, almost like a motherly figure to an extent, because her mother's obviously died. And there's this whole thing, and they have a conversation, but you've always seen it from the back of christian's head and then she gives her the mask and that's when you see and you don't see anything so for me again leading us again you know my brain is going it's 1960 they don't you know they they, kind of forward. like you said it can never be as bad as what's in your imagination okay you're never going to see her face so the moment when you you do again like it's not not quite i don't use a jump scare it's not a jump scare but it's a bit of a gut punch because you are like, oh, Jesus Christ, that's, I did not expect that. To, like, that was not what I was expecting of this film. Um, And then, especially because they then give you her real face, or at least a, a surgery improved face later on. So, this is because for me, the other thing I was thinking about, if you do see her face and she has a nose and she has skin and she's clearly like a burn victim, like because she was in a car crash, but it's her face that's been mostly disfigured, they would have had to remove some of that to then apply Mm the the face uh that that they take from this girl and so you sort of see that so you know the question is um what you see is that supposed to be a face without skin and all this other stuff and so it's but it's done really well and so but it it plays on your mind throughout the rest of the film when you see her in that mask after that you're like what is on what i've seen a glimpse of it but i'm still not sure like what is under that mask um no, it's incredibly effective. It really is. Um, but it, it sort of produces this household. One of the things I was curious about in this film is is the three of them in this household. And again, going back to this sort of like gothic motif of you've got the hospital that he works at, which is on his grounds or wherever it is, and then he sort of lives next to it in this sort of rather grand house, and she lives at the top of it. And the three of them living in this house, it felt very sort of... Um, at one point, I thought like I was thinking like Adam's family kind of you know it's just this gothic building with this these residents in it um and it, it, you can then mirror them with um the patients you know they're they these people that have come for these surgeries they, they they just seem as just as trapped like it's another world it's it's completely outside of the world like this this hospital and this house have formed this bubble. Um, and they're trapped in it, and the doctor's just as trapped as everybody else um and they do show that on a number of occasions like you said, how they act, how they're being presented because when you meet the police, the police are a lot more animated and a lot more sort of as you would expect, really from a film. but i don't know I don't know what your thoughts are on on um well, well f- firstly the 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 face, but
2: well, I mean, I, I, I love the sort of theme of beauty, right? And mm. I mean, is she still beautiful, <laughs> you know, yeah. if she has to wear this mask? I mean, how do you define this? And, you know, that mask is, you know, apparently Carpenter said that that, you know, may well have influenced his choice for, you know, Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, and it. but it's it works better for me here, you know, mm. because it. It has that that image of of beauty, you know, uh, Mazikeen and Sandman Mm. with a sort of uh, half mask that's scarred underneath is also sort of a very effective image. So I find it a very effective image is almost iconic as as sort of representing marred beauty and this person who is, uh, you know, potentially a threat, but also a victim. I mean, I find about the, the whole sort of gothic thing and that family, I keep thinking about the extent to which this is or isn't a sort of feminist film. Um, it's dominated by the uh, a doctor, right, who's mm-hmm. cold and distant, right, who's the, clearly the patriarch, has immense privilege at the hospital to the degree to which he could just tell cops, like... Yeah, this is not my business. And the cops are like, yeah, that makes sense. We're going to yeah. we're going to go away now. Um, I mean, exemplifies male privilege. He's a stereotypical sort of uh, French or European kind of patriarch who doesn't feel the need to explain anything. He, you know, is very cold. He's, you know, uh, he's not especially sensitive, uh, not interested in her interior life. And yet she's more of a character than he is. And, you know, one of the things that they did for this movie was de-emphasize the mad scientist and then partly naturally that meant putting more emphasis on Christiane. And so, you know, she seems very interesting. The the assistant, Louise, is um, clearly broken up, disturbed by what they're doing, but it's in the service of this great man. So she justifies it. I mean— you know, at one point he apologizes It's probably the closest he comes to an emotion that he apologizes to her for, you know, the way he's hurt her. And mm-hmm. she says, you know, the, basically for the things she's had to do in the cause of pursuing this, the, the heterograph and, uh, and the assistant says, you know, Bian Su, you know, like, of course, of course you've hurt me too. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, there's no shying away from that. But she justifies it all in the service of this great man and his uh, his mission, his his research. Um, but then ultimately, it is the daughter who's the plaything, who's, mm. you know, the, uh, you know, a sort of captured, um, you know, sort of bird in a gilded cage who releases the animals and symbolically murders the assistant in a sort of, charmingly bizarre sort of moment and ultimately has agency I mean the cops don't do anything <laughs> you know you know yeah. ultimately this is all foiled by a woman deciding I'm not gonna be that plaything in this gothic kind of um situation anymore
1: well, you you say about the bird in the cage and <clears throat> from, from you know that that idea is is um Some of the things in this film are subtle, some some less so. But one of the one of the things like there's there's been no birds in this film at all, for the most part. And then she does; she kills her father and and this assistant and leaves. And then a bird lands on her, and she sort of like drifts off into the woods carrying this dove. And it it, it's like a clear representation of like oh she's as free as a bird. Oh okay. it's a little. It's it's not the most subtle of of, of images in the film, um, but I agree. I think this idea of um, you know, especially the three of them, but the the assistant in particular is this fascinating character as well because she does she she feels beholden to the doctor because he um, as um, she had an accident as well like she's been in some sort of tragic accident and had some of her, her own surgery. Um, if I believe right, she has um, I'm not sure where it is but she's had some sort of facial surgery but also across her neck like she wears this this selection of of a uh, a pearl necklace uh, as a choker and it's recognised, it's raised several times as being an identifier Um, and it's that it's there that she is stabbed um, later on Um, that is the part that is actually sort of stabbed and, and, and attacked so one of the things I found interesting is that for her, uh, although she is beholden, like she has this motherly feeling towards um, uh, Christiane, um, she she is still just playing a part. Like she she has these emotions towards Christiane, but like Christiane sort of like is 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 you know torn between what she represents as a sort of like a mother figure, but also the thing of what part she's playing in this these acts. Um, and so, like when she stabs her, like you say, you, you pointed, she, she kills her in this weird way. She she stabs it in the wound. That's the, the she, it's covered by that necklace, the pearl necklace i just mentioned, the, sort of as a choker. That's hiding scars from the surgery that her father did. And then her father is killed, but the dogs tear his face up. And so it's this sort of like the murders are sort of done as almost as an act of well, the the escape is an act of rebellion against everything her father represents. Like, she keeps the mask, attacks his previous work, and then his face gets disfigured and, you know, all torn up and stuff. And I just thought that, to me, was like, say, this, this thing, the agency, but this thing of the... for the assistant, in particular, to be killed in that way, I thought was rather tragic, because she obviously had a life before. She's then had this accident and the surgery's given, and she's then beholden and sort of feels like she's sort of trapped or dragged into this scenario, at least psychologically to then have to be attacked in the way the where she was fixed it, it, it's a really sort of quite it is quite poetic mm-hmm. um but yeah i don't know it, it, Like, I say she she's i just find the assistant interesting as well that like so
2: yeah i mean did you feel bad for her i kind of felt bad yes. for her when and the, the stabbing i mean the thing is you would expect in a film that at the climax i mean basically this whole plot with the cops has like fizzled out right i mean it's yeah. a red herring the cops are useless and, you know, you would expect in most films the for Christian to like hold that scalpel and say like, you know, it's time you got yours. And you know, there <laughs> there would be an exchange of dialogue, and she'd say, "I was you don't want to do this. I was only helping him." No, like as soon as we see that scalpel, it's already in her neck. I mean, it's yeah. just it happens so quickly. And that's a great point about, you know, where her scars are, that it, you know, enhances the poetry. I mean, obviously, you know, the doves are a little much, yeah. (laughs) you know, um, the dogs are interesting. I like how they're nice to, she's nice to them, but obviously, uh, the, the scientist has been torturing them, but I found myself feeling bad for that assistant as she's, she's stabbed. Um, and then she only says a few words and sort (laughs) of collapses and it, and it's, so charmingly sort of like anticlimactic mm.
1: well again it's factual it's, it's that thing isn't it it's like everything else in this film it's cold and factual like you know yeah there's no big dramatic death scene there's no um you know dialogue or monologue about revenge or redemption or justification for the murders or like that. No, it just sort of happens which is very sort of like it's very straightforward it's very factual it's quite cold and even so christian doesn't really shed a tear or anything for it like she clearly shows some sort of remorse but not beyond a moment's remorse and then moves on and so yeah i like i like that though i like i like the fact that it's not arch you know that it's not this camp kind of it doesn't lead into that at all
2: well and, and and the doctor never gets a moment where he says you know, the sort of typical uh, Victor Frankenstein sort of monologue about like, you know, science can't be stopped. And, yeah. you know, you, you know, you, you can't stop uh, great men and these lesser men want to want to stop me. You know, you're quite right. There never is that speech. I think that the closest we get to sort of like Christiane showing emotion is when she calls uh, Jacques mm. and then. You know, basically, clearly is Christiane and then hangs up. Um, And I think is talking to the assistant uh, and the assistant says, you know, sort of, what are you doing? And uh, Christiane cries Mm -hmm. and you see her crying through that alabaster mask. Um, But it's crying for this man who she obviously loves, who loves her, knowing that this man is suffering Believing that she's dead, um, knowing that she, even if she gets a face, she can't resume her old life. She can never go back to him. Um, How is any of this good? This is all what her her father wants. Um, But uh, but those tears and that image does way more work than all of the sort of arch monologues that you're describing as being absent.
1: Well, that is that thing of show, don't tell. You know, in many of these films, you know, yes, you know, we like. In some films, you know, you like a good monologue, or or you, you know, that that you get the, you'll get the fist pumping moment where the hero wins over the the villain or whatever. But this isn't about that, you know, and that's the thing, because because you're right, because a part of me wonders, and one of the things I think that's more the more interesting is when she goes off into the night at the end of the film. Like, is it to die? Is it? What is it to do to live her life? What does she do? Is she still dangerous? Like you know, I don't know. I don't know what it. This sounds horrible, but I don't know who it is or what it is that escapes into the night at the end of the film, because you don't know her frame, your her mind uh, at the end of the film. Where where is her head at? And she's just obviously committed these 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 acts um, Mm -hmm. against her captors. But is she going to run to the police? Is she going to like? You don't know, and you're never left to know that. And so. Um, yeah, they showed you this emotion, but then they leave you guessing later on because she's she's clearly broken.
2: Um, well, it wouldn't be a French film if it weren't ambiguous in some yeah. way, right? Yes. Um,
1: yeah, but I mean, yeah, it, that, that's that sort of thing. Like you said, you, you know, you made me think like you know, you said Carpenter, as in you know, John Carpenter, influenced by this from The Mask. The end, or there are certain parts in this film. There are certain shots in this film that like. Um, talking again about the, the the girl that escapes with the, the bandaged face when she escapes through the house, and the father is the the doctor is chasing her up through the house, not the really chase but following her. Let's say some of those shots, book to me, I was like, uh, were very reminiscent of um, Halloween seventy eight. Like, yeah, you know, there's there's that sort of like the, the trench coat and the face. I was like, oh. No, he looks a bit like Doctor Loomis. Like there's even a a, a look about him. They've kept that sort of look. Um, But I do like that chase as well, though. I do like the idea that she sort of she can't get out of the house because when he tells her, he's at the garage doors. And you you say thingy, like it's it's almost like slasher, Michael Myers or Jason. Because when he says like, you know, I'm not sure what to do with that. But then when she says he's she's escaped, he doesn't run into the house. He sort of just goes, okay and then turns mm-hmm. and walks mm-hmm. into the house and I was like oh god it's not this isn't going to end well um and so yeah it's um it's uh, she, 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 yeah, he follows her into the house with the stairs and just the way it's lit, it's 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 one of those daft moments you are like where the hell do you think you're going like, you yes. know and I, I you say it was suicide i don't think it was intended it's almost like a last effort. She gets to the top and there's a room and she gets into the room and sort of like slam. You hear the door slam and that's what sort of propels him to go up the stairs. Mm -hmm. uh, The final push. And then you hear the, the, the the clatter and the scream as she goes through the window. And to me, I was like, Oh no, she, she reached the end of a path and was like, yeah, there's no way out of this. (laughs) Like I've, I've, I've ran as far as I'm going to run, but I honestly think if she'd have gotten to the, to the front door, Mm. I think she would have run out into the night and got to the police. I think it was a, it was a last. Mm-hmm. Di- i don't I don't think she intended to commit suicide because she found like that she had her face missing or anything like that. I think
2: oh, uh, yeah, no, i I am also puzzled by why she decides to flee into the house and upwards. I mean, you know, yeah. that might be a flaw in the film. But, um, no, I don't think that she flees intending to commit suicide. Um I'm just saying that when she finds herself sort of being pursued, And at the height of the house, and thinks there's no way out of this. She decides to throw herself through. Yeah, that she's not accidentally falling through the window or jumping to try to get to a lower level. Um, it might be an impulsive decision, but it it seems to me that it, you know, contingently in that situation, she's decided to kill herself.
1: Yeah, one of the I want to talk about the police in this film. Yes yeah because in every other film the, the you know we we've we've suffered in every area. you suffer useless police officers in movies <laughs> it happens you know that the blundering police that blunder around and they're all sort of made to look silly because everybody else sort of ends up catching up quicker but you you're right in the fact that in this one that they they start off trying to be Proactive, like they come up with a plan, like straight away to try and infiltrate the hospital. Yet they are dismissed so quickly and you know effectively after this event. Um, And partly, I was like, is this, is this because it did that threw me for a bit of a loop. I thought they were going to mm. come back. I thought there was a follow up, and they never do. As you say, it's a red herring. But they start off well almost with the right tone like, you know they they sort of like almost manipulate a young woman into being used as an undercover operative they've got this plan and you think oh yeah this is all gonna this is gonna culminate it does it literally does it, it results in the climax but they are not a part of that climax if this was the american version those two police officers would have been driving right. away and they'd have had the, they'd have had the um realization moment that have spotted something or that have been some of the reason the Colombo moment of just one more thing and they'd have gone back and they'd have been mm. they would have been a part <laughs> of the climax but they are literally dismissed from the film and I, again I, 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 I've, I sort of struggled with that a little bit maybe because of my expectations but um, yeah I don't know what, what were your thoughts on the police
2: well I think that there are a lot of elements about the end of the film that I both like and am not sure that I like mm. um, and the police are one of them. I mean, I think that I kind of love that they are compassionate. Mm. They let this woman off before they decide to blackmail her. <laughs> um, yeah. you no, know, but I mean, they do let her off. I mean, it's like, OK, just scare, scare her a little and, you know, let her go. Um You know, I I like that they are competent at their job, but I also like that they don't figure it out. And Mm -hmm. I'm sort of a sucker for detective movies in which the audience knows more than the detective
0: Mm -hmm. or in Mm -hmm. which
2: the detectives are good guys and they're competent, but they never quite can piece it together. Um, So I love that stuff. Uh, I think that stuff works well. I do think it's a little quick how they're dismissed. It's like oh, well, we sent this woman in. She's missing, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Obviously, she's been here. Um, And and the doctor's assistant, uh, Jacques, is also ready. You know, it's like, oh, well, she left of her own free will. I mean, they've already said that they're going to call to see if she got home. it, It seems absurd that they are dismissed that easily. But I do like you know the the depiction of the police and that ultimately they are not able to solve it and that they're the role as you say that they serve in the plot is really just to get the doctor out of the house mm. so that um Christian can you know release the the patient and then let the dogs loose and and kill the assistant and everything um so i guess in that sense it's important um you know i on the other hand, there's a kind of like structuralist in me that says, um, really, the finale of this film, because of that, the finale of the film could have happened at any time, right? I mean, yes. Christiane could have just said, enough of this daddy, you know, it's dad, Louise, and, you know, uh, let the dogs lose. I mean, it could have happened at any time.
1: But and that's the problem. That's the problem I sort of have, that there's no trigger moment for her. Yes, we've got this This final, I believe, third victim, because you've seen someone die at the beginning, so this would be the third one that, that she, that's going to happen. What's different about this third one? What has happened for her to be saying, no, this is enough? And there's no sort of defining moment, and, and that's what I find is a bit of a problem, where, you know, there's no... I'm happy that there's no... um and there are the monologues. I'm I'm happy that it's all very sort of like frank and, and it sort of happens in a sort of quite a cold way. And I understand that people are complex and sometimes it doesn't always take a, you know a a large trigger moment for people to change their mind. It can just be you reach a. Conclusion, and that seems to be the sort of the position to because she's on this chaise longs watching this woman sat on her bed. And she sort of, you, this moment where, and because she can't express anything because of this mask, yeah, you, you, she just sort of gets up and you're like, Oh, what's she gonna do? You know, and I'm looking at the timer and going, Well, there's only like 15 10 minutes left of the film, so something's gonna happen, and then she lets her free. But to me, there's nothing where she's like, Well, now is the moment I rebel. Now is the moment where this is too far. Like, you know, I I have lost an opportunity. I don't know. There's some there is some there's like a beat missing in the film for me. I
2: mean, I do think that it sort of like accelerates at the end. And I had the same sort of uh feeling, like sort of the first it's about an hour and thirty minutes, like movies mm-hmm. used to be. And <laughs> for the first thirty minutes I thought well, I love the opening scene, but, you know, this is a bit slow. I'm enjoying the shots. I like the setup. And by the end, you're like, there's 10 minutes left to go. And like yeah. so much stuff happens in those 10 minutes. Um, it's really kind of amazing. Um, my take on that is that she's called jock. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the main difference. And probably that her dad is out of the house. I mean, that she like there is this kind of like patriarchal, including Uh, At that dinner where Mm. they think the graft is taken, where it's like, you're clearly unsatisfied with this. Why don't you stand up to him? I mean, you don't have a face. What's he going to do? You know, what is he going to do to you? You don't want to live. Um, But she seems incapable of standing up to daddy and to that sort of masculine, um, uh, uh, aggressive, assertive uh, power of the doctor father who embodies all of that.
1: But exactly, ah. but that's the problem Because there's been no rebellion up until now Like The the rebellion has been her running to her room to cry into a pillow It's not been a proactive, you know, um, mm-hmm. almost aggressive rebellion It's been really sort of very passive And so again, that, that recording of Jacques I understand what you're saying Because it's that moment she tries to talk to him And she says she hangs up And it's that, that change But it's almost the end of the film. Feels like a change of attitude. Mm-hmm. Yes, her father's at the house, but we also know he's been at the house a lot because <laughs> he obviously runs this flaming hospital. So there must have been times when she was alone in the house with the second victim when the when the, the face peel the the face t- took to begin mm-hmm. with. And so again, it's like you know, there's just something. It's, there's a slight beat of something, or even something like a build-up of like why, why now? You know, um, even to me, I was thinking like you know, because Jacques gives up. Jacques sort of just again, he's in the one. He sort of he shakes hands with the police, and he's sort of like, yeah, well, you tried your best, you know, better luck next time, and and, and all that. Tally ho! If all if I could see a moment. Um, and I know i will do this. and I apologise if I sort of jump in and try and correct a, 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 film, a film that's regarded cla- as a classic. <laughs> but if you just had a moment of her, if they could, if you, they did that within sight of the house, and she from a window saw that the authorities and her the love of life have abandoned this thing, and she's now like, oh yeah, shit. no, I'm alone in this. Now I'm You know that that to me would be enough to be an instigating moment of like, yeah. no, this is it like there is no out that could be i I would accept that as enough for her to then be sat on that chaise lounge and be like no this this can't go on i can't keep losing these people i can't be trapped in this and that'd be enough but there isn't anything i don't know yeah
2: i mean i you know that would be interesting although she doesn't know that the police are investigating right so so to see them walk away is sort of like oh she doesn't know that they're giving something up if she saw mm. that. Um, I wasn't bothered by her sort of not having that clear moment of uh, motivational change. Um, you know, I thought that, you know, it's interesting what we object to and what we don't in terms of ambiguity that, you know, for me, that was not a problem for me. I thought, well, she's seen at least three now. She clearly yeah. is unsatisfied. Um She visits, she's lurking around the house. She's going into the lab when she's, she's sneaking Mm. in. She's not supposed to, um, you know, she's called Jack. She's not supposed to, she, you know, clearly misses, she's crying. Um, you know, she clearly is deeply unsatisfied and upset, but is unable to openly (laughs) resist her father.
0: Mm. Um,
2: so maybe she's just had enough. Um, maybe she's planned this at the same time there's a kind of like whimsy to it i mean sometimes we don't know i mean you know look i'm i i am am prone to being very nice until i auto until i hit a point where i can't take it anymore and i'm just like what the effing hell are you saying you know
1: yeah that'd be demolition man but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but you both- yeah, you, you're right, because I think I totally agree with what you're saying, and to me, it's, it's a nitpick, I am really like, you know, I'm nitpicking, because because you're right, because of the poetry of the film, the way that the film's paced like, you know, it's bound to happen, and so when it does happen it's not shocking that she does save the girl, because it's, it's clearly going to happen Um, but it, it, yeah, it, I think, again it's the thing I've said before, like, you know as a being used to modern cinema, you know, there's an expectation, there's a beat that I expect. I would have expected that beat. Is it, does it ruin the film for me? Does it ruin the climax? No, not at all. I, I should be clear. Like, I still really enjoy it. and I think it works. Um, it just felt a little bit, it is rushed. Like, if they, they could even drag this out, this this ending could be another five to seven minutes longer and work just as well and work better. In fact, um, but no, it's it's a nitpick more than anything, really. That I'm looking for because I enjoy so much of this film. Yeah,
2: no, I and I and I think you know it's legitimate. I mean, I think that you know the dove is overly done. I wonder if her, um, you know, and I also wonder. I mean, she could she could be going off to die. On the other hand, she could be going to Jack at the end. Mm. She could be you know going to to try to find the police or or just go next door to the hospital and say, you know, who she is. Will she be believed? I mean, she's a murderer now. I mean, there are a lot of questions at the end. I think Mm -hmm. what's important is that image. And I think that, you know, that image of her going off into the woods, it feels the first time you see it, it feels like I've seen this before. This Mm -hmm. is so iconic. It feels like this is the ending that in my gut i go for in a horror movie or a slasher movie of just sort of like oh yeah now yeah, there was no justice you know uh people just did these things and this person goes off into the night and you know you don't need to be told what it's about Um
1: but Ooh, that, I, that, that was the end of halloween 78 yeah the ending is mm-hmm. michael is shot off the balcony they go down he's not there there was never an intention to have a follow-up it was the studio that followed that up and you're supposed to be left with this notion of michael is still out there you know he is mm-hmm. the boogeyman and sorry to interrupt you but i'll let you finish well i was just wondering like you know does she
2: she clearly wants to to free the second victim whose face she gets right mm. i mean she goes to visit um she decides with her father gone, to, you know, she makes the decision to free this this third victim. Um, but I wonder, has she planned to stab the assistant? I mean, is this ultimately impulsive? Has she planned to let the dogs? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, it does
1: not feel methodical. No, it, impulsive is how it felt to me, which is why I'm willing to let the the, the ending go, because it feels a bit like. She sat there on that couch, and then she. There is that thing of us in her head going like, "No, this is enough." And I'm not. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do it. And so the attack on um, the assistant. What was her name? Louise. Mm -hmm. Um, It it feels like you say it feels impulsive. Like you say, you, you know, it it almost, almost like a reflex. Like she appears, and it's like, oh shit, and she stabs her. And it's like, again, it's not about rage or passion. It's not an act of passion. It's all, there's no anger. I don't know if there's an anger. It. It's just a, no, I'm escaping and you are now, you you are now my jailer. You are in my way. And it sort of, it just sort of happens that way, I feel. And the same with the dogs. Like, you know, I don't think she intends to release the dogs to act as a weapon mm. against her father. Like, it, they're not released to be like, you know, it's not like release the hounds. Kind of moment, like she is just freeing them, and it just so happens that her father is coming in through the Mm -hmm. gate where the dogs uh, exit. That's it, yeah. I agree with that, it's it's happenstance more than anything. Um, but that that sort of feeds into the the, the way I sort of like you know, one of the things I thought about when I after watching this was urban legends. Not the film series Urban Legend, but as an urban legend, and this felt like a cross between like a dark fable and a, and an urban legend. Like I could imagine kids telling this story around a campfire, you know, sort of the faceless woman that that stalks the woods if you go camping. You know, she you, you know don't fall asleep or she'll come and cut your face off or whatever. But like this is the story that you tell the woman that was locked in the house and these people that were killed and she eventually killed her captors and is now roaming the woods and stuff like that. This is a, this is an urban legend. It's a campfire and it's beautifully told, but that ending to me, the ambiguity and that sort of thing is exactly the same as any urban legend, you know, sort of mm. um, anything from, what the stupid well I'll say stupid ones, but the ones like uh, finding the dog hung in the the bathroom with a note saying you know whatever some of the gross ones or the call is coming from in the house all those mm-hmm. kinds of sort of like things she's now in she's out in the world and you say you don't know does she go to Jack would she go to the police? does she just go off and roam into the woods? you know I don't know um so it felt like that as a sort of a more of like a modern urban legend or fairy tale as well link it with that gothic feel
2: yeah i, I mean I, I am so in love with the visual you know we've talked about the poetic sort of nature of this mm-hmm. but, but just with those those visually arresting images especially mm-hmm. with it being in black and white i think her leaving like that obviously her the mask itself is you know visually arresting um now, there are a lot of, you know, we talked about the the surgery. I mean, there there are a lot of even the way the staircases are shot. You know, you were talking about the the fleeing of the mm. second victim. Um, you know, there there are so many just arresting images, and I am such a sucker for that. I mean, if you give me, you know, if you give me something that makes me feel something or makes me, you know, just in the in the beauty of the shot. Um, you know, in the, in the poetry of what this means, I can put up with a lot in a movie if I'm yeah. moved by something like that. Um, and so I don't need to have all of these things explained. It feels right. And I think, mm. I think that's, that's you know, I mean, it's a maybe it's a stereotype of the French, but I mean, this idea <laughs> of sort of like, make sure that it's beautiful, make sure that the plot feels right if it feels right to you you don't need to understand why it will feel right to enough of the audience I mean, yeah. this is not well, the way our countries make
1: movies <laughs> no but th- but th- this is why to me at least there's a there, there is a the, you know like a poetic nature to this film as you sort of say the shots are in some cases stark you know sort of using the use of the black and white and in others um they are plain. like they, they keep things relatively plain. But it's all for a reason. It all has a justification. But one of the things I think about this film, as you say, is it doesn't follow the, the narrative structure we would expect. You know, like you say, yeah, the police aren't involved in the finale. No, there's not a big moment where she has a realisation or a redemption moment or whatever. But neither does life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's moments in this. Way. You've seen the surgery and all this other stuff, and it's very stark and it's very practical. Well, all right. Well, so's her story. In some cases, it, it, these things happen. You said about whimsy, you know. May, it feels real. It feels real. Uh. Well.
2: Yeah. I mean, I. I think it's it's the sort of French thing of like you know if it feels right. And and there are parts of that that I sort of resent um, in other films, in lesser films, and and I don't know that I'm entirely comfortable with it, even in this film. I have this sort of part of my brain that says um, that what I like are sort of narratives that feel inevitable, right? And it Mm -hmm. does feel inevitable that at some point she would do this, right? She would rebel. That's part of why I'm not bothered by her having uh, the lack of a uh, realization moment. But typically I'm bothered by uh, when things don't feel inevitable, when it's just like, You look back and you say, yeah, this plot could have resolved itself in 10 different ways. You know, it it doesn't there's no way that it went except sort of the whimsy of the director. On the other hand, I I love the word whimsy. I mean, I (laughs) love this as I have kind of a love hate relationship with that in um, plots.
1: But, But is it a case of end point? You know, you you know the inevitability of this story is that she, that she she as a character is not going to die, or at least that's my expectation, and that this is going to have some sort of resolution. And throughout the story, you are told quite repeatedly that sort of like certain things are never going to happen. She's never going to get back with Jacques. You know, you are not going to have the, the, There's no. Inkling that there's going to be the question of can Jacques love someone without a face? You know, they're, they're not even going to try and address that question. It's quite frankly, like, even if you've got a face, you will look like somebody else. So he is at the question as a sort of like, you know, he's a so that that resolution is never going to come. And so to me, there is an inevitability, like, even when this ends, she's alone. And I so, like I say, so taking the whimsical route now, especially for the, the finale. I'm okay with the happenstance of the of the of the end um feels fine to me as you said feels right because it's inevitable that this is going to happen so getting there in that fashion feels um it it feels real like you know yeah someone impulsive can easily go now screw it. This is what I'm gonna do right now. This is what I'm gonna do. I've had enough and I'm gonna do it. And so you get then the whimsy. Whimsy feels too soft. I mean, she just stabs someone in the throat and that sort of thing. So <laughs> maybe not whimsy, but like, you know, she's taken by an impulse. And then it's the impulse beyond that is, Well, I've set the woman free. I have the impulse then to kill, you know, Louis, and then set the dogs free. And it becomes this sort of like um to me it's like a not a tidal wave is the wrong word. It's not that strong. It's almost like a, a cascading of events. Like She's like, well, yes, I've set the victim free. So in in doing that, I've got to face the consequences. And the first consequence is Louise. And so I've got to take her out, and that's what happens. And it's all impulse. And then she's like, well, I can't escape and leave these poor dogs behind that she's been kind to. So letting them go becomes the next inevitability. Mm-hmm. And then it's just coincidence that her father is entering through that point and, and is taken out. Like, you don't get. And I think this is interesting as well, what you've said about her standing up to her father. She never has to. Right. Yeah, N- she doesn't examine
2: happens. the corpse or, you know, uh, talk doesn't, to it as he has his dying last words. <laughs> you yeah,
1: know? Well, it, it, other scenarios in this film would have been her getting to that door and him stood at the stood there and acting like you know back to your room you mm-hmm. know you are my daughter sort of thing and then her setting the dog on him or the you know her proactively killing him but she never has to face up to the patriarchy as you've said like she never has to she never has to face it down mm-hmm. because it is done for her fate steps in and takes him out before she has to to have that confrontation and then she can just sort of like gently just waft into the woods so you know that in itself like you know to me sort of says like you know it's it's whimsy is the thing but it's almost just it's a cascade of events coincidences Mm -hmm. almost that lead that allow her to escape
2: yeah if it feels sort of like a fairy tale or like a greek myth you know where this is how it would go right and (laughs) and you could imagine as a writer thinking like okay well how are we going to end this and you think, OK, well, obviously she's going to rebel. She you know, mm-hmm. she's got Like you said, she's got to do this. And then you think, well, do we have this confrontation or whatever? And you think, no, you know, he's killed by the dogs that he's tormented. This is, you know, and, and because he's away, that sort of gave her the opportunity to do all of this in the first place. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, he's returning at the same time that dogs who he's tortured are running out of the house. Okay. I mean, that feels right. It feels right. It feels like, um, the way it would go in a fairy tale or, you know, a a Greek myth or something like that. Um, and yeah, it has the side effect of you're quite right. And I hadn't thought about that, of sort of that she never gets that conflict. Um, you know, she has agency, but it's never the, I mean, there's never like that and 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 maybe I like it for this reason. There's never that sort of like, you know, if this is a movie that avoids those arch moments, there's not that arch feminist moment where she says, you know, "Father, you've treated me like an experiment, and I've had enough." Um, you know, women are doing it for themselves now, Father. <laughs> you know, I mean, there. I mean, I'm joking. Uh, I don't really hate that stuff as much as I'm sounding, but. You know, it avoids even that kind of cliche.
1: Exactly, and that's the thing. Like, you know, if this was a modern film, there would be that moment of stepping up, standing up to the father. But she, she—it's the fact that she never has to, and it makes me wonder. You say about the, you know, sort of that could this end ten different other ways? Well, is there another ending where? She doesn't let the dog go and she just wanders through. Or timing just so happens that the dogs all run out and then he turns up after and and confronts her. Does this end in a different way? You know, it's that thing of she may have been strong enough to kill Louise, but I still think that was a a reflex, like an impulsive moment. But could she have done the same to her father? Um, And you never get...
0: Maybe.
1: You never get that question answered. But you don't need it answered because... Right. The lay layout, and she just like you say, if she if she just stopped to show even a single sign of remorse for her dead father,
0: hmm.
1: then you then the question is left in the air of could she have beaten him? But the fact that she sort of just steps over him, like literally just steps over the corpse, and he's like, you know, I'm free, and then goes off. It sort of it, it bypasses that moment, really. Yeah, and it's another sort of
2: like odd oddly cold moment it's sort of like you know and it feels right i mean you know why should she care she clearly is has lost something of herself through this whole process um you know the the killing of louise is uh, for me you know a moment of real horror that goes along with the uh sort of more uh hostile like uh, surgery and Mm. revelations of the face and everything. Um, there is, I think, you know, the best bits of horror, um, remind us of things that are existentially terrifying to ourselves. Right. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, there is in that, in that moment, a sort of this horrific idea that, um, you know, have you ever like, You know, it's like when you're when you're driving a car and you think. It is freaking amazing that we as humans are all staying in our lanes and we don't have accidents all the time because, you know, I don't trust humans to carry a cup of coffee around across the room successfully. (laughs) How in the world are we doing this? It, it, It blows me away. And sometimes sometimes you look at a knife and you think. Our, there's nothing keeping this from penetrating my skin or anybody else's mm. skin we are so vulnerable and there and the way that she kills Louise is just sort of like taking that scalpel and just sliding it in and letting go yeah there's no dramatic moment it's not like our death has to come by you know uh, a maniac with a with a knife stabbing psycho style it's just sliding that knife through the skin there's something existential about that for me
1: no i agree it's because it's not like an outburst of violence you know it's not like a again you know uh, putting this akin to like psycho you know um and the, the said say sort of the shower scene or um one of the other my, my famous from my favorite moments from psycho is when the guy's at the top of the stairs and she he, he slashes at the guy and he falls down the stairs. Like you know, those are expressed as a moment of violence. It's it's you know it's not an impulse. It's not a sort of reflex. They are moments of violence. This isn't. Like, none of this is a, is from especially from Christiane. Uh, is a moment of violence. It's an impulse, and it's almost like say at that moment in her head, it's it's well Luis is a, is a is a blocker. Mm-hmm. and it's like and she did, it's not like a revenge it's not a, a moment of pa- it's not a passion killing it's not like Argh! kind of thing it's like you say it's a, a but i'm still not sure she has re- not, not remorse probably um i'm sure she has remorse for it but like, is is it regret for the it's remorse for having to have to do it but is it there's no regret for having done it if you know what i mean
2: yeah and it's sort of it's, it's an emotionless act Mm. In, in the same way that, you know, I hadn't thought about it, but how emotionless this film is. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, you know, the other, thing, the other thing that shocks me that is a real sort of, um, you know, that I thought of that is a real sort of horrifying moment is Louise scoping out the next victim. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and there it's like, oh, I mean, she, I, I, I think she's already sort of expressed the regret and you certainly know what she's doing. And she's scoping out that next victim. Um, and and you think like, I mean, and here again, it's that sort of like existential thing where you think like how many people in cars looking innocent, looking, you know, this is a nice looking, you know, sort of middle-aged woman uh, sitting in a car watching uh, college students pass by or whatever in Paris. Uh, nobody would ever think, Oh she's choosing who's going to be have their face removed yeah. next and it's just terrifying.
1: Well the thing is as well the opening of this film beyond her dumping the body is her going into Paris I believe or you know the, the town and she she joins a queue I think it's for a cinema or something like that and basically just joins a a young woman in conversation and you know she's like, "Would you, you know I'll, I'll buy you lunch or whatever and in this climate at the moment of, you know, I don't want to go into the whole Me Too thing, but this idea of sort of like, you know, um, aggressive, you know, male attention from, you know, towards women. Again, in 1960, they're sort of going, like, I don't know, they're not, you know, this is not a film like Peeping Tom or even sort of Psycho of the sort of the broken male figure sort of stalking women. Again, this is a practical moment. It's all it's not about feeling. It's not about emotion. It's a it's like you say it's an attractive middle-aged woman just singling out an, another a younger woman in the crowd and then using her disarmament. She disarms her by being a, an attractive middle-aged woman. To yeah. then say, Yeah, no, of course I'll I'll buy you lunch and we'll have this. And then, oh yeah, you know, I've got something. I can't remember how she gets her back to the house or whatever, but then there's this thing of sort of she gets her back to the house.
0: It's a
2: it's a place to stay, right? That, yes. And it's never really explained that the young woman is homeless or, you know, needs this somehow, but obviously you know, it, is a little hard on her luck.
1: Yeah, it's not entirely clear, but, like, it's this moment of, like you say, you know, it's not a sleazy moment in that sort of thing of, like, you know, I've got somewhere. if it was a male figure, if even if it was the doctor doing it, which... You know, it could be a possibility, but um, or, 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 as you said, that like, Igor going out, that sort of character, like, you know, trying to pursue women to get them back. It's not that. It's just very convivial. It's very nice. <laughs> and it ends in, in, in her face being taken off. Why um, don't
2: you come with me that that's yeah. best <laughs> yeah. for yeah. you? Like Peter no, Laurie no, I mean,
1: style Igor sort of like.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I thought that, you know, watching that, I thought, oh, that's clever that's that's some smart maneuvering and it's so innocent won't you take this free ticket you relax them with going to see the movie and then it's oh let's get the coffee oh really you need a place to stay i mean you find some excuse to get them back to Mm -hmm. your place and then she's chloroformed and has her face cut off right yeah um it's quite horrifying And, and having seen that Knowing that Louise sitting in that car is evaluating every passerby mm. for looking like the Christian, you know, like this arbitrary thing, like, look, I mean, I mean, it's like a serial killer having a type or
1: something.
0: You know? Oh, totally. And that was like...
1: totally that totally <laughs> crossed my mind of every serial killer film I've seen since the 90s of like, oh, we can now do a you know what they call it like a, a model or a sort of you know oh they have a type and it's because you know they were beaten by their mother or something as a kid whatever it is um yeah that, that totally crossed my mind of like you know this that's exactly what this is like she's sat looking for the um and again the one thing I was a little um and again it'd be too much it's a 1960s it's, a it's, it's like this technology is not clear. you know there but there's nothing of like you know her face is they've got to have a similar bill or a little at least similar height and similar proportions otherwise you know so sort of people have different size heads like you know i don't be stretching her face over so she looks like you know um sort of plastics like you know like a 19 like someone 60 year old plastic surgeon, a little facelift it, the, the, there's you know considerations you've got to make um but uh yeah no it's just really it is really creepy. Um, the other thing I find creepy as well is you get to see a presentation. Yeah, this is one of those few films we, we've we've had films with that with with the, what was it? Them gave us a nice PowerPoint presentation. Uh, this also gives you a presentation because the the doctor is actually presenting to colleagues or peers about his progress and his findings mm-hmm. <laughs> about how actually he can do this without them being similar the types of stuff with this radiation therapy and other stuff. But he says, like, you know, but unfortunately the dose is so much at times that it could kill people and all this other stuff.
2: Um, and so, like, and, yeah, and the solution is exsanguination, right? To take the yes. blood out, so the radiation... I mean, this is all bizarre, and you never see him draining blood no. from... I mean, it's just a sci-fi excuse, right?
1: It is. But I love the fact, again, that the coldness of this film is like... or, or arrogance, maybe, is that he is basically t- t- you know, Give in a presentation in a TED talk is telling people how he's killing other people <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, yeah and it's, it, but, and, but it's these again it's these things that are so real like you know and it's not like a Hannibal Lecter arrogance where he's like oh of course he's doing this and he's serving up human remains to his guests at parties. No, no, he has to make a present. He, he just he has these findings and the whole films, about he wants to prove it. So, of course, he's going to do these presentations. Like, it's not an arrogance. He's it's, to him. It's just you know, why wouldn't I present these findings?
2: Well, and what he's saying is ostensibly innocent. Right. You know, mm. I mean, but of course, we know he's describing his, his yeah. killing technique, you know, Um yeah, it's a little like, you know, sort of Patrick Bateman giving a presentation and saying, like, you know, the important thing about stocks is yeah, being yeah. able to have the killer instinct when yeah. you see what you've, your victim. Um Yeah, I mean, and, and I really liked the shots of the audience reacting in that scene. And you see a priest, mm. you see like all these representatives of, conservative french society right which is traditionally a catholic country Mm -hmm. and you know here's a priest listening to a killer (laughs) describe what he's doing and it's like oh you know you're a respectable person i'm a respectable person it's not thinkable that you are you know this great doctor making you know uh ingenious advances i mean he's the opposite of the sort of that's the opposite of the mad scientist, right? Who seems yeah. like disheveled and, you know, don't go to the Frankenstein place, you know? He is infinitely respectable. I mean, I thought of, there's that uh, like Richard Gere movie about a doctor who's a killer who gets off on playing God or something. You oh, know? Was, uh, Primal Fear or one of those. Yeah, something like that. Mm. Um, you know, and I thought of these like doctor movies that play on, you know, like the, the godlike power of, doctors mm. and, and whether they get off on this and there's that whole layer too
1: well it's like a built-in arrogance beyond a certain point isn't it like yeah you know, to, to the extent of like it's a cliche to, at this point you know not not 1960 but by by modern standards like if you were to watch hell scrubs took the mickey out of it this idea of sur- of, of guys doing you know the surgery jocks that have a a god complex or they're the ones that sort of like you know Um, And and, Grey's Anatomy ER, I I can name all these shows They all acknowledge this idea Of surgeons being the ones That feel that they're the ones safe in the world Even Doctor Strange Like you know in the film The the Marvel, they they acknowledge this idea The arrogance of the surgeon There's a scene in that, the reason he has to crash Is because he is filtering through Potential cases Mm -hmm. Of which ones will further his career Which ones are going to look most impressive Or which ones are the biggest challenge so you know, it, it's um, it, it's almost like yeah, it's almost like the um, a layer of respect, a bit, a layer of respectability over the mad scientist. You know, like if you go back to the like you you're saying that the, the David Whale uh, Frankenstein, and you have that sort of like you know, it's alive, it's alive. <laughs> That's the 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 other extreme. But th- this guy is just a do- he sees himself as just a surgeon. But he is just as crazy and just as mad scientist as that. It's right. just a matter of perspective, I suppose.
2: And and that's the sort of like Patrick Bateman thing that, you know, I mean, he doesn't present as a yeah. mad scientist. I mean, he, you're never, you you know, I mean, like if your daughter is marrying that guy, you think, oh, you're, you know, you're marrying up. This is this is a great <laughs> yeah. catch. Right. Yeah. Like and maybe he's a little boring. You know, he's a little flat affect. but. Not crazily so, not enough to set off giant alarms or something. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, it's that. Yeah, it's that sort of the, that. You're you're right. It's become a cliche, but that sort of doctorly arrogance. Uh.
1: Yeah, but it makes me wonder: like, is is the doctor? Is the father in this? Like, you know, could you class him as a a psychopath or a sociopath in some respects? Because, like you say, he he is completely dispassionate about what he's doing. You know, there is no you know he manipulates people he has the arrogance he believes you know he feels that he should be the one that listened to and be respected without any real due cause he he is completely dispassionate about this to even to about his daughter's condition like he makes her continue to wear the de- decaying face of somebody else <laughs> so that he can further his and then takes photos of it we've all done that yeah <laughs> yeah um but like you say, the disposing of the bodies and the moving on from victim to victim—there like, is no remorse. Even at the end of the film, like, there is no remorse for anybody else. Um, and so, like he is, like Patrick Bateman's a really good example of this same thing. Of like, even with Patrick Bateman, like one, you know, the American Psycho—he gives into his impulses, and it's that moments of sort of like, again, gratuitous moments of violence. There's outbursts of violence, whether it be chasing hookers down with a chainsaw or. You know, macheting someone because they they have a differing opinion about an album or something. Th- this guy is is stone cold in that respect, and it's all about what he is, what he sees as his objective. Uh, and to me, that's really scary.
2: Yeah, no, and I think there's a version of this uh, character that is. I mean, I wasn't terrified by him, but I think that there is a version of this character that is truly terrifying, who has both. Because you're talking about, it's a good point about Bateman that he, you know, I mean, you can play him to be square, but then he's still (laughs) clearly enjoying, you know, uh, killing that guy. Um, You know, but there's then we kind of like slide into the flat affect, uh, you know, the truly flat affect, Mm. because, you know, who then has to say, like, you know, has he's twirling the knife, you know. I want you to know I take no pleasure in this, Mm -hmm. right? And we've gotten a lot of that in cinema. But then there's another degree beyond that of just the guy who says nothing as, you know, the victim screams for their life or begs and pleads and just does not even reply and just (sighs) slides the knife in. And, and, you know, that's such a shock in a Mm. movie, right? Where it's just like you've missed that opportunity to have that, you know... No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die sort of speech. Um, You know, and that's why that scalpel is so, so horrifying. It's why, you know, he is so potentially horrifying as a killer that you don't get any explanation. There is no monologue. He's not interested in, you know, I mean, he never, there's no aftercare for his patients. He's totally, I mean, he chloroforms them, cuts their face off. You never even see, like, Louise talk to them and say, like, look, we don't know whether what's going to happen with you, but the surgery's over. You're alive. Nobody even tells them anything. They
1: just don't care. Exactly. Now, it's, it's not. It's not. But it tells you, again, that the moment he says they step out the doors of his hospital, they are no longer his responsibility. The moment those victims leave his surgery table, they are no longer his responsibility. I would not be surprised. To me, its I don't think it's the doctor that puts the second victim in that cell and puts bandages on her face. That's Luis. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she is the aftercare. She's the only one that's going to give a shit. And she's, a, she's the only one that's going to make any attempt. She takes a food and then gets bonked on the head with a bottle and, and that's the, that causes the escape. And then when he says, that, but when he says, like, you know, what are you going to do with this? Like, I, I haven't made my mind up. There is a part of me that thought that, you know, the scene when he has the dogs. And he's got the dog laying on the on the table, and there's a shaven part in the dog, and he's sort of the the indication is that he's done skin transfers or skin graft transplants on the dogs, and they've been successful. Yeah. There's a part of me that's thinking like he's keeping these people alive for further experimentation. <laughs> like God. he's gonna he's gonna try if he had two people alive down there with that faces, he'd be like, can I now do? hand transplants can i now do you know this and again not thinking i'm going to take pleasure in cutting up that poor young woman is well i've done this can i now achieve that right and i have these two people here so can i swap (laughs) their hands let's let's try that go get me get my get my scrubs let's go you do that very well uh, yeah. do
2: you have any equipment in your basement Scott yeah
1: <laughs> my black and decker drill that's about it that's why that's why things never seem to work now, if, you, yeah, if you saw my DIY skills I'd be a terrible surgeon um but that that's how I see this film like he is completely detached from this like he doesn't you know uh, you even see him in, you see him in the hospital and his his attention to, to patients in the hospital is crap as well well he
2: lies and he lies to them i mean he he transparently like says he keeps saying this thing throughout the movie of sort of like trust me right Mm. like he asks people to trust you know it's like uh fait confiance à moi sort of something like that like you know have have confidence in me Mm. some expression like that and Clearly he's saying that in circumstances in which he knows the patient's gonna die. (laughs) And one
1: of them's one of them's a young boy. Yeah. He gives him the lollipop and then he blatantly and he he looks at the mother and the mother's going, I've got hope. I've got hope. And he, he there's no there's no of course, no, you're completely right. You know, you keep hope. It's as you just said he just says to her, Well, you you just have faith in me. And then he walks out and and Jacques confronts him. Cause he confronts and he says, "He says, you just basically, you just lied to them. You know that kid's gonna die.'"
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, but, but without even saying anything, he just says, uh "He says, 'What's it to Jack? He says, um, well, you know, what's your diagnosis? Is it? Is it not your diagnosis as well?'" And Jack clearly doesn't want to say anything. He says, "Exactly," and just walks off. Right. Yeah.
2: Completely. Like we both know what's going to happen here. Yeah, but Let's- he doesn't address what he said. He doesn't address. Giving the mother hope, he doesn't address, you know, uh, wanting to be treated like a god, in, even though he knows
1: he's a god who is set up for failure. But again, it wonders to me, like you know, so talking about this now, one of the things it brings brings to my mind is things like the Tuskegee experiment, you know, when they, when they gave those, uh, they, they found or they either found or found those or gave syphilis to those that group of African American men in the thirties and then watch them suffer with it for decades. This feels very similar. Like that young boy, he's like, oh no, we know what's going to happen to him, but I'm going to let it play out so I can continue to take notes and then I can, you know, so I can, for further whatever. Like he uses, this is his kingdom. You know, you we, as we've said, this this, this hospital in this house is a bubble. It's his kingdom and he r- rules it. And if he feels that you are useful to his experimentation, then you get to stay. If you're not, then you get to walk through those double doors and you are no longer his responsibility. Yeah,
2: no, I I quite like that isolation on that line, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, and and, and it's interesting. I mean, I like the idea that maybe he would, I mean, you know, keep the um, survival the the women who survive like in those dog cages or something you know waiting to transplant their hands I mean you know it, it, it's horrifying but I don't know how to logically refute that he would do something like that but yeah
1: go ahead I how 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 far away are we from from eyes without a face to the human centipede that's all I'm saying. <laughs>
2: I'm not sure that that is the, uh credit that uh, the eyes without a face wants yeah. on its list of influences. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I think about how, like, I know some people, you know, who, who work in, in medicine and our nurses and, you know, have struggled with COVID and everything. And, And I I know people, you know, just like people who who work in policing and who are dispatchers and and all of this. You see messed up stuff. Mm. All of those people I know, like, you've got to say the right things. But the second you're out of the room, it's like, you know, you're making morbid jokes about that kid dying. You know, I mean, you visited the scene of a suicide. The mom is crying. You say the right things and then you leave and you make a joke about the brains on the wall. Looking Mm. like, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, (laughs) mints, yeah, like you know, uh, you know, impressionist painting or something, yeah. I mean, um, and you do that to survive, right? Mm. Because you're seeing horrible things, um, so there is this way in which, like, that bedside manner or that flat affect, like, reflects something about the medical profession or about these kinds of professions, but at the same time is truly horrifying in this particular character, given, Mm -hmm. you know, and goes beyond that. Um, So I I found that interesting, too. Um, And obviously, you know, how terrifying is it to think, like, we think of scenarios in which, like, we're a prisoner of war, right? And we're being tortured or something, right? Mm -hmm. That's terrifying, right? You, You can't kill yourself, and you're just kind of stuck here. How terrifying is it that like a doctor has cut off your face yeah. and doesn't seem to have any interest in you, and that's just it's like, hey, look, nothing personal. You're just my daughter's time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 uh, yeah.
1: It's there's a there's a film that goes very different to this, uh from the 70s. I think it's 72, 73, called Scream and Scream Again. Um and it has uh, it has a lineage to this i suppose in many ways it's got it's, it's got my boy vincent price in it but there's a moment in that there's a the part of the film is there's a jogger uh, he's a this guy's a, a runner uh, and he gets kidnapped he gets he gets abducted and he wakes up in a hospital bed and he only ever sees this nurse and he's being used like for this experimentation by this doctor played by vincent price but the fact of it, when he wakes up like one of his legs is gone and then when he wakes up again, like, another one of his legs are gone. And you never really talk to this guy. like he's not a character in the film. like they don't spend time with him. And part of the horror is this fact that he is just a source of materials. And as you say this, you know this idea of sort of um, you know, the prisoner of war or sort of he is nothing more than a resource in this film. And it's that same same this same arrogance of doctors of like, well I'm I'm doing the greater good you know and again it's this she she feels the same like you know when you when you sort of watch Christiane, it's that thing of like yes i'm watching your personal story and it's completely understandable as to why you flip at the end as we said like you know on impulse or whatever but the fact of the matter is like, it's almost like is this is this her story you know like or or, are, or is or are we watching the the, the father's story like you know they seem to. I think they get equal screen time in that way. Like you know, <clears throat> it's clear it's her. Yeah. I'm, in in other eventualities or other versions of this, there would be that triggering event that brings in the police, and it's obviously the bodies that do that. But like, it's yeah, she is the key character and you sort of introduce to her, and she's obviously the the win the the I don't know, the last girl, the you know whatever you want to call the final girl if you want to call her that. Um. But like you say, is it really her story, or is this the end of the father's story? Because you don't get an epilogue for her. You don't yeah, get a resolution no, that, for that her story. Me too. But you obviously get a resolution of his story. You know, he gets mm. he gets turned into pedigree chum. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But that's that's what I kind of enjoy about this film again is like the ambiguity of like, well, whose story are we really following in this in this scenario?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, Christian feels like the main character in the sense that she has emotions, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, she calls Jacques, she cries. um, And clearly, you know, in the novel, the father was the main character, right? And so that was changed for this film. And I think you're right, that they sort of have equivalent screen time. I think that we're moved more by Christian because Mm. we can identify with her more. Um, He doesn't even get to say, well, It's unfortunate that we've got to kill these girls, but (laughs) even that is denied him. Um, And even his build is strange. You know, Mm. I mean, he just seems like, you know, I mean, if he were a gay man, he'd be a bear. You know, that's all I can say, you know, like he's not. There's nothing like he doesn't seem like a stereotypical doctor, like kind of like tall, thin, mm. maybe works out occasionally. No, he's just like a, a a normal everyday
1: guy who,
2: you know, is terrifying in what he's doing and in no other way.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's that sort of um, it's the horror that sits beneath the banality of life, isn't it? Sort of like, you know, everyone looks fine on the surface. <laughs> You know, uh, for the most part. Yeah, you know, again, if you really, really wanted to, and I'm supposed, you know, now I'm going to say this, and I'll probably sound like a pretentious prat saying it, but, like, you know, you see the mask that he wears, you know, when he, or at least attempts to wear in the hospital by that bedside manner, the civility that he gives people, yet he is in private, you know, he knows that this needs to be hidden because he knows it's wrong. So the mask of civility sits on there just as Christiane has to wear the mask to hide her face you could make those comparisons i'm sure there has been an essay or two about that Um,
2: sure yeah um that's a good point i mean and that that same you know patrick bateman talks about that mm. same thing of the mask you know and presenting how and and you know we all do it right i mean you know i don't talk on this show about the way i cut off faces you know um
1: the collection that you have on the
2: (laughs) um no, when, when they remove that face, mm-hmm. I mean, this its like something out of Preacher, right? There's, mm-hmm. you know, when they remove that face and you actually see it coming off and you're like, there's something horrible about the severed face, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's rendered flat and, and the features kind of disappear as it's removed. Um, and I guess at this point it's like a trope, but I mean, this was doing it way before. Um. But I think you're right. I mean, we all have some kind of face that we project to the public, right? And we all say the right things, you know. I mean, we try to, you know. You don't go to a go to a funeral and and talk to the person mourning and say, "My balls itch," you know. <laughs> I mean, you say, "I'm sorry for your loss," you know, and you try to find the right words. Um,
1: and then you rummage in your pockets, to give your balls a scratch. <laughs>
2: Well, maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe you wait till you're in the car. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, and if you did that, you know, it's like you're the stranger or something. You're mm-hmm. like the the complete weirdo, which goes another direction from the the doctor. It's like maybe you're self-actualized, but everybody hates you. And the doctor is actually a psycho,
1: but everybody loves him.
0: Because he knows what
1: to say. Yeah, exactly. It's about that. It's about that. The sophistication. But also, I think you say it's not just it goes two ways, especially with the doctor, because it's not just he knows what to say. There was almost like an assumed authority and status because of his position. You say the police just take him at his word oh, he's a doctor, he owns his hotel, it's this hospital, so he must be a good person because he's a doctor, so we're going to take him at his word. And the same at the beginning of the film, when he goes and you know, claims the body or identifies the body of the woman, like the, there's no challenge. Are you sure? You know, Do you want to check anything? He's just like, no, that's my daughter, and I'm off. Like, and completely dispassionately, he just lifts up and goes, yeah, that's the one. And leaves. Um, and I suppose there's this just this assumed status that he's able to... They might even be... Like, they, they may even say, like, he's a bit bit weird that one isn't he? he's a bit odd but like you know well he, he's he's become a doctor so you know he clearly he's clearly bright you know that's i don't know it's like there's an assumed position that these these people take and and that sort of carries some people through
2: um there's a modern day up uh, update of this in which he's black and he's caught in the first reel you know because the cops are
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. just
2: like yeah you know he is a doctor on the other hand i'm not sure that i trust him uh, well, he would, but yeah, he has first, that privilege
1: yeah exactly and it is it's that privilege yeah in, in the modern version the film doesn't even happen because he gets pulled over for something else completely different and then shot um but you yeah, know th- there is definitely a a privilege that goes with this position and and sort of like his wealth because it's clear that he's rich mm-hmm. so, you know they, they make a point of a point saying that about how like you know wealthy he is and he has status and sort of stuff so yeah, it's a clear point of privilege in this point of of everyone sort of like they they tread on eggshells. The police don't want to confront him; they want to send mm-hmm. a girl in, um, undercover for dead. Right? <laughs> yes, they, they don't even bother following up on. Um, but they feel fine because like, what well, he says she's gone; she's not well, here. And it seems like they know
2: everything, right? They yeah.
1: have all the pieces
2: to put this together. The one thing that they don't have is Louise,
0: mm-hmm. right?
2: Because I guess the idea is that they assume that because the doctor has that patient, that he would just take her directly from the hospital. Yeah. And so the fact that the orderly says, oh, no, she was discharged. She left. I told her, you know, where the bus uh, picks you up. OK. You know, good enough for us. Mm-hmm. They're missing Louise's role. Yeah. That's the one thing Um and that's such a minor thing. It's like they have it all pieced together. They have everything they need to to crack this case. Um, and they just don't. They just mm. can't quite
1: see it. yeah, it, it, it's, it's it's interesting, but again, that's real. If you know how yeah. many times have there been police cases? you know real like true crime cases where you look back on them and they're like yeah this they interviewed this person 12 times and it wasn't until this one piece of evidence fell into place that they were like oh no that's definitely them you know in this country i can think of loads as you know like the yorkshire ripper through to um not several recent ones but yeah so it, it feels real there's something once this feels like a fairy tale and and mm. is it, it appears in that sort of like lyrical poetic fashion And is very pretty to look at It's very beautifully shot There is still an element of real people Making cock-ups throughout all of this That result in the event Or impulsive moments That is just natural And so yeah it, it, it feels right as you say It feels right Nothing feels contrived You know it feels silly But you just go Well no that sort of feels right It all sort of works <laughs>
2: Yeah. And I think that, you know, it holds up remarkably well. I mean, I think, you know, this is 1960. We're talking about 61 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, while not a kind of like feminist manifesto or a dissection of uh, elite white privilege, it has those elements mm. and depicts those elements really well mm. without making them be its primary thing. Um you know, it, it is artistically, it's still shocking. It's, mm. you know, it's not as shocking post post saw and hostile, but it certainly is shocking. It certainly is new. It's we're in a world of CGI and it's black and white. is still beautiful to us. Mm. That's saying a lot for a movie from 1960, whose reputation, the reputation of which has only increased. Mm. Um, I mean, this movie gets more and more famous with each passing year.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think well on that point, then we'll we we'll make our sort of final points in a moment. Um, in fact, I'll, you know, I'll go first. Really. I think the final point is, you're right. This this film, I was surprised, and I, I went in this with a with a a Solaris cloud over the back of my head a little bit <laughs> um, until I watched the trailer i watched the trailer on youtube and i thought i'm gonna do a bit of research on this beforehand and i was like this looks good like this actually looks intriguing that you know oh there's one thing i will say that we haven't talked about which was was a bit incongruous with all but i I look forward to this to the extent that i I bought the blu-ray i'm keeping the blu-ray because the special features are are, are good as well it's a great film um and you're right it, it 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 hasn't aged badly this is a really good film to watch um but more, there's a lot of things to say in this. And it's so influential. Like you say, we've talked about like John Carpenter, Patrick Bateman, there's all these things you can relate back to this. In the same year, you had Psycho. And everyone goes to Psycho as being this watershed moment, as I said, of being this thing where Hitchcock sort of broke the mould and invented the slasher and blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm not saying this film invented the Torchbourne film, but this film has got a huge amount of influence on on later films. Massively so. Um, in the way it's shot, in the way that certain things happen. Um, yeah, and, and so I, I really enjoyed it. Actually, I thought, you know, the, the critics, I say, slammed it for its, its lackluster acting, but it's there for a purpose. It's one of those films you can watch and go, no, there is a point to how these people are being portrayed. Look, it's it's there for a purpose. It serves a, It serves a purpose within the film and they are deep and there are meanings within this. And I will go back to this film. I've got no doubt. I will go back to this film. It's really good. Um, and there's so many themes to, to 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 dig into this. I'm sure there's stuff that we haven't even touched yet. That you know there is things to talk about. Um, you know, and the, the shockingness of this film. The two things that will finally say is the shockingness of this film is raw. Like you know the, that surgery, the face removing surgery john woo didn't do that in 97 in face off like they don't show, they show more in this film than you yeah. see of nicholas cage's raw face in that film i'm telling you
2: and we want to see nick cage's face removed
1: oh I, yes because he's yes. nick cage <laughs> yeah hell he's method he'd have done it for real um, um what was the incongruous thing the music oh yes <sighs> So the music it's has a like carnival
2: esque rep- sort of. Yeah,
1: it's very light and it's very carnival esque and it has almost like a comedic tone to it. And mm-hmm. it just felt a little bit out of place continually to the extent of it. It was not irritating, but I was a bit like, oh God, it needs a. Are... The score is a bit of an issue for me. Not enough to put me off because I really enjoyed it, but it, when it jumped in, it felt a little bit out of place. That was the only thing I'd really sort of harp on in this film was the music.
2: Yeah, it's funny because the score is is liked for this, although I I seem to remember reading that the same composer had done a similar score for uh, a previous movie by the same director or something. Mm. You know, it seems like, dude, this is a serial killer, like alter your style. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I do I do like the idea of the carnivalesque as a sort of commentary on, you know, the freakishness of mm. li- lacking a face and, you know, a, a bizarre juxtaposition. But, you know, I do think that it it lessens that title sequence, mm-hmm, which, mm-hmm. you know, goes on quite a bit. And then it, it lessens uh, when it comes in. It's just kind of like, yeah. And there is a moody music that's used for uh, Christian's sort of sad moments. But to make you get that she's at but yeah i mean i agree with you um you know the other thing is um you know as far as in terms of final thoughts that this is this is a sort of like example of light sci-fi right this Mm -hmm. was very influential and in in, especially in french horror history that you know there really hadn't been a lot of french horror movies Mm -hmm. and so you know i mean talk about like a you know nuclear bomb like yeah. you know, wait, here's what we can do um but uh you know it's, it's also like the thing that makes it sci-fi is it's still victor frankenstein it's still a guy who is proposing organ transplants and this is you know 50 years before the first facial transplant give or take um and we're doing this for real now like yeah. it's actually really predictive um, and many of those scientists doing facial ta- transplants have been caught with disfigured daughters and dogs in cages. Um, <laughs> just kidding. OK, it's not predictive about that. But um, yeah, so it's it's light sci fi. It's obviously a sort of sci fi horror kind mm. of you know, thing. It expands our sort of definition of what we're doing here, you know, with sci fi stuff. Um, but it was a treat for me and I'm super glad that you liked it. And it gives me an excuse to force you to watch Stalker. Yeah, no, still,
1: I'm. I will. I will admit, I am quite. A, I'm kind of tempted by Stalker. Oh, really? Yeah, because, because I think Solaris is slow. Oh yeah, but yeah, but the idea that I've read, read up on Stalker after Solaris, and the whole concept of it is fascinating. And so yeah, then no, no, that that maybe one will do. Um, Super influential. I mean. See,
2: the only reason I haven't chosen it is I don't know how often I want to watch it next. Yeah. But I do, I do have theories about what's going on in Stalker <laughs> that I've
0: talked
1: with fans about. It's a film I do. I, I think I, we will do. I think we would definitely do it. I think I'd like to go do it. It's what I, I've learned about um, the idea of the zone and and you know yeah. taking people into it and all that kind of stuff. So we will get to that. But yeah, no eyes Without that face. Um, what's next okay. week? So next week. We are jumping to, uh, the, well, to the final frontier. We are taking on a uh, you know, new frontier. Uh, we are taking on Star Trek, the motion picture. Are, are we doing oh. Bowie? Oh, Christ, yeah, we're doing another one. I was about to jump. Yeah, we are then to Bowie, of course we are. Before we get to Star Trek, um, we are going to, yeah, the man who fell to Earth. Of course we are. Um, I, was, I was getting all a bit distracted. Yes, we've got we're David two Bowie. Two classics, right? Yeah. One
2: French, one American. But I mean, you know, we're jumping a bunch of years, but these are two classics that we want to watch that we've been aware of for a long time. And we're giving ourselves the excuse to watch them and talk to each other about it.
1: Yeah, I, I'm interested about the, the, the reason I chose uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Um, and, you know, we go on to the next show. But the reason I think is because after after David Bowie's death, um, the, the Man Who Fell to Earth and The Hunger got like a big push. It was like, you know, these are... Not Labyrinth, because everyone always loved Labyrinth, but they were like, oh, these are his lesser-known films. Go check these out. And um, I've seen The Hunger, and, you know, it's all right. It's fine. You know, yeah. Um, but this is one I haven't seen, and it's one of those ones, again, that, as you say, is it sort of like a... I don't think it's talked about enough, from what I understand, and seems to be very divisive as well. So... I'm really intrigued watching this. Never seen it. You know, I've got it ready waiting. Um, but I'm, and I'm really looking forward to trying this one out before we do get into a load of mainstream things. So we're really starting with some obscure stuff and then going to get some more mainstream things.
2: But yeah, yeah I, I love that mix. I'm just, I'm just mad that they didn't mention in the same breath Zoolander, which is Bowie's <laughs> finest performance. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. We'll get out. We'll do the, the whole back catalog of, uh, of, of Bowie films. Um, but yes, no, I'm looking forward to uh, to doing uh, that as well, actually. Um, also based on a novel. I forgot because this was based on a novel. Yeah, also based on a novel. Not going to read it, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, mainly because at the moment I'm reading the... Uh, I'm preparing, I'm going to over, but I'm preparing for another film coming up. Uh, I am currently reading the novelization of uh, Buckaroo Bonsai, uh, Adve- Adventures Across the Eighth Dimension. You are a brave man. I am yeah i am <laughs> it's good though it's quite good fun actually and it's answering some questions i may even be able to tell you you've never seen it so you would not know what this means but uh, i may even be able to tell you where the watermelon is going um so or what it's for at least so that may make sense when we talk about it uh, so anyway that, julian thank you very much for for, for introducing me to uh, eyes Without a face uh that's my that's pleasure been, it's been i've really enjoyed this film and good talking about it as well so um thank you very much and ladies and gentlemen if you want to tell us more about what you think about this film or any other film we've talked about or have coming up uh you can find us online um we'll use it on twitter at at pod timespace come find us on there happy to talk about anything you can email us we are part of the 20th century geek media uh, franchise kingdom empire that you know <laughs> will be built uh you can email us at, at uh, it's at 20th century geek at gmail.com and if you really like what we're doing and you love that mean what means uh, julian are giving you uh, on this podcast go and check out the patreon it's uh patreon.com slash 20 cg media that's 20th century geek media so cg media and there's all kinds of uh Layers or levels or whatever they call them on, on the Patreon, but on two of them, you will get a weekly podcast, and it's me and Julian working our way through the original Twilight Zone series, the Rod Serling Twilight Zone series. And it's been an absolute blast doing that. We've done Absolutely. a whole bunch, so uh, yeah. So there, there. So go check those out. It's really cool. And uh but yeah, as usual, Julian, thank you very much. And uh, my pleasure. We shall talk on the next episode.
2: streams.